the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Firing Line with Rick Travis, Legislative Director for the California Rifle and Pistol Association. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman, CCW Safe, Vortex Optics, Cutting Edge Bullets, and the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. And now, your host, Rick Travis. Happy Saturday, Patriots. Welcome to Firing Line Radio. I'm your host, Rick Travis, the Legislative Director for the California Rifle and Pistol Association. And today we're going to be looking at a wide view of hunting and bringing it down to what's going on on Catalina Island, potentially what could happen and what we're trying to, to raise public awareness about so that maybe we can stop this from happening. With me is a good friend and a colleague, uh, Robbie Kroger, who is here with Blood Origins. And maybe you may say, well, what's Blood Origins? And so in this first segment, we're going to explore that. Robbie, welcome to the show. Rick, I much appreciate you. Honored to be here. Honored to uh, chat to your audience about who we are, what we do, and just get into a little bit of Catalina Island stuff at the end. Yeah, so how did Blood Origins come into being? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great question. Um, I I was raised in a family that had a, a very steeped hunting heritage. My grandfather, as he described it, hunting hunted the two essentially wildlife paradises that this world had to offer. He hunted in the 1920s and 1930s in Tibet, China, Mongolia, the the Siberian uh, tiger, and then in the 50s immigrated to Mozambique and hunted the heyday of Africa, the, the Teddy Roosevelt, uh, not Teddy Roosevelt, but the Ernest Hemingway kind of, times of Africa, right? The 50s, the 60s, and then revolution hit Mozambique in the 70s. I never got to hunt, though. I, uh, and, and my grandfather was of the age, maybe your dad's the same way, Rick. Um, kids were to be seen, not heard. Yep. <laughs> I'm familiar right? with that. <laughs> and so we never got stories. Like, you would think, like, did I get regaled over a campfire about elephant hunts and hippos overturning boats and rivers? Nothing. I got the written word though. And so I, I came to the States in 2003, uh, proud American now, uh, fortunate to be raising my kids, married, raised my, raising my kids in this, in this country. And I got exposed to hunting and I got exposed to what it was. And as I was developing in my career, I got more resources. So I hunted more and hunt, explored different places and, uh, have yet to hunt California, by the way. Need to fix that. <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, as I started getting more into it, I started reading more of his stories because I wanted to understand my heritage so I can give it to my kids. 
And so then I started exploring, because I have a PhD, I have a PhD in wetland ecology and aquatic biogeochemistry. I've worked in the restoration ecology field for the last 25 years, 30 years, doing different things, right? Water quality, agriculture, wildlife habitat restoration work, uh, some political restoration campaigns internationally and, nat- and locally. And... uh I started looking at my boys and I was like, man, these guys are going to be raised as hunters. Or at least I want them to be raised as hunters. So how do I communicate what hunting is to them? Okay, well, I've got to figure out like what hunting is to me because I'm a new hunter. I just started hunting. And so I just said, okay, well, let me look for it. Let me look for people talking about why they hunt. And Rick, as it's probably not a surprise to you. Right. I couldn't find it. Yep. I could not find anyone talking about the emotions tied to hunting. I couldn't find anyone talking about the heritage, the traditions, the the adventure, getting closer to God. I couldn't talk. I couldn't. All I got was the people in the tree stand saying, here comes it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and when you get into the cinematography game, you realize that that's fake. Right. They're just, they're, they're B-rolling it. And so I decided to make it. I, I decided to like say, well, could I find and speak to people about their whys? And at the same time, if I can communicate someone's heart to someone who doesn't understand hunting or is not a hunter, hmm, I could also change perceptions around who hunters are at the very same time. And that's what we did. And that was five years ago. And we called it this thing called blood origins, which is got nothing to do with the spilling of blood. It's all got to do with we all have blood in our bodies. That blood carries our DNA. It, carry, it carries essentially a fingerprint of our heritage. And that heritage is your origins. And somewhere in your heritage, somewhere in your origins, you probably had a hunter in your line of families, because otherwise you probably wouldn't be here. Right. And so that was what we started as, Rick, uh, three years ago. Uh, and I think it's important to note that, again, as I, as I'm alluding to before we got on this, we do things a little differently. And I wanted Blood Origins not to belong to anyone, because in the hunting industry, it's there's a very uh, commodity-driven, market-driven model, which is, you get sponsored by this rifle, you get sponsored by this bullet, you get sponsored by this camo company. I didn't want that. And I wanted to belong to everyone. And so for three years, essentially, I struggled because I didn't have a business model in which people would be willing to support us in the mission of this idea of conveying the truth about hunters at the time, like the true heart of hunters. And so three years ago, someone said, you should convert yourself into a 501c3. You should convert yourself into a charity, a nonprofit, and do the work that you do and and almost expand the back end of it. And that's what we did. And so three years ago, we converted to 501c3. Now we have a business model to support us. And really, that's when the pipeline opened to the kinds of content that we create. We still very much are true to our, our foundations. We tell the heart of Hunter's stories. We've told some phenomenal stories out of California. We've told uh, stories about... Uh, 
second generation Pakistani who's this just avid duck hunter out of Los Angeles. Uh, a, a first generation Iranian who's an avid chucker hunter out of Los Angeles. Um, a pro skateboarder who's an avid desert sheep hunter out of Los Angeles. And then we've expanded to being, and again, sort of tied to the Catalina issue. We've almost, sometimes we are seen as the spear tip of any hunting issue that happens all around the world. So when something happens like Catalina, we, we tend to, we'll tend to say something because someone will say, Hey, you, have you seen what's going on here? You know, can you help? And from our perspective, how we help is we, we come at it from a frame of mind, a scientific background, a perspective of like, mm, is what is this issue? Let's dissect it. Let's simplify it so everyone can understand. And then let's say something about it. And we do that all around the world and we've become very well known for it. Um, and so I know I spoke a hell of a long time explaining what Blood Origins is, but I think you've got a good idea now of of what, who we are and uh, who I am. I think it's so important, and I've said before on the show and when I'm out speaking in the public, that people are disconnected from their food sources, they're disconnected from their heritage, and that causes them to have conflicting viewpoints even when you listen to them talking, and they don't mean to have it, they just don't realize they're they're struggling to bring balance into their own lives to understand the world around them. And I think government inherently uh, walks right over the, the people. It doesn't matter what government, I'm not picking on, you know, any particular state, but the issue at the end of the day comes down to people being educated, being able to trust where they get their education information from. And that has been a struggle, I think in the modern era with all the different social media things and, visual images and our attention span not being as high as it once was. And so that's part of what this show tries to do too, is to bring in the, the people like yourself that are, are creating that narrative and that information that is solid. It's based on the North American model for our conservation where people are like, okay, so this is the science. These are the people in it. And so it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on tying this in as we go into the next segment to look at Catalina People, there's a lot of stuff that's emotionally driven, you know, um, people that care about the plants and the herbs and different things that grow naturally on any of the Channel Islands. There's a lot of debate from the anthropologists and archaeologists and others of what was and wasn't on the Channel Islands. We have people in the, in the Native American space that have a lot of different um, backgrounds and dealings with the, the, the Channel Islands. And then you have the people that have been working on the ecology and the wildlife on these Channel Islands for the past 100 to 150 years. And that has come to an apex, like we said a few shows back, on Catalina. Catalina has a, a mule deer population. That population of deer has had a varied numbers that we'll talk about on the show, but there is basically currently a plan by the Catalina Conservancy to remove all the deer through the use of helicopters, and uh marksmen to shoot the deer early and then to clean them off the island for good. And so there's quite a public outcry, quite a debate going on uh, that involves multiple agencies and multiple groups. Robbie and I, to be um, totally open, are working with the coalition to stop this. And so we're going to be sharing with you some of that information 
in the next few uh, segments today so that you have a clear understanding so when you talk to friends and you spread the word, you can do so logically um, without a lot of emotion, but just the facts. We'll be right back on Fine Line Radio. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. I'm your host, Rick Travis, the legislative director for the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Today is my good friend, Robbie Kroger of Blood Origins. And we're now talking about Catalina and the idea that the Catalina Conservancy wants by fall of 2024 to remove all the mule deer that have been on the island for roughly 100 years. Robbie, I know one of the things we struggle in California and it's a struggle across the nation and around the world is this idea, do we, um, whether it's flora or fauna, do we look at a specific species and build off of that, or do we look at an ecosystem and guide it that direction? And this appears um, from the conservancy point of view to be, hey, let's just look at uh, a couple of plants, and it's going to be all about the plants, and we'll make our, our decisions based on that. And there's a lot of us are saying, hold on, there's an ecosystem here that's been working, um, maybe not perfectly, and so let's talk about this ecosystem argument as it applies to the cattle and the deer. Yeah, and I think to start with, I think maybe some people fall out their chair when they hear me and my response here. Uh, number one, I think we as wildlife stewards, hunters, managers, non-hunters, I think everyone should be interested in a holistic ecosystem, biodiversity type approach, okay? You're not just one species, whether it's a plant, whether it's an animal, whatnot, you're looking at the whole ecosystem. For instance, wolves. Like I'm, I'm the kind of guy that says I actually enjoy wolves on the landscape. I like the idea of walking around a landscape that has wolves in it, hunting with wolves in it. But 
those wolves need management. I'm not saying they don't need management. I'm just like the idea of a intact ecosystem. So when you talk about, um, and I'm going to be, you know, mule deer are not, are a native species in California. Okay. The vegetation range that they occupy is very much the same vegetation range that occurs on the, on the islands. Uh, they just are not technically native to the islands. They were never there. They were introduced. Okay. So that's why they're, cons- they're, they're considered an introduced species. People will even take it further, especially in the Australian context or New Zealand context. Those species then are called pest species or non-native species or invasive species, right? Again, they're just, they're just terms that conflate what you talked about before, the, an emotional response around a certain subject. To me, they are a deer that are adapted to that environment. They can grow in that environment. They can populate in that environment and they can utilize the habitat. From my perspective, the deer on Catalina, you have to look at the deer in a social context. And here's where social science actually comes to bear. There's, there's often a lot of um, people that would argue, I've been one of them in the past, and it depends on the circumstance. Let the science drive the, sci- the, the, the population management of the system, okay? There's also people that you have to consider here, and that's the social science, the social values. And Catalina is, is essentially the perfect experiment in which there's very diverse values that need to be evaluated so that everyone can see a win-win-win come out of the situation. So let's just talk through these values, Rick. Let's talk about the Catalina Island Conservancy's value to start with. Their value is primarily the biodiversity um, of the island from a vegetation perspective. They want the island to be returned to whatever historical point back in time it should look like. You can argue one way or another whether that's even feasible today, but that's their value. And we have to recognize that and we have to be cognizant of it. Okay? Their solution is full eradication because in a historical context, there were no grazers, there were no browsers. So that's the Catalina Island Conservancy's value, right? The other value is the people, the people of Avalon, the people of Catalina Island that say the deer are a part of our community. We feel like they are an embodiment of the island and we don't want, we don't want to see them go, which is a value that is in opposition, in contrast to CIC. And then I think the last value is the idea that you have a deer population on the island that can be sustainably managed and you know, we can, we can debate what sustainably managed means through hunting that offers opportunities for, uh, an adventure recreation, which is one of the objectives of the CIC is offering recreational opportunities for people entering and uh, being on the island to taking a great resource, meat resource, uh, back to their homes. Um, and three, doing a management type activity really the only management activity on the deer population to maintain it. Mm-hmm. 
again, their value is very much in opposition and contrast to the eradication value. So that's where we stand right now, right? What else would you add, Rick? I think I think you also have you do have the tourist value of people that come from. It sounds weird saying it, the mainland, but you know most of Southern California and and people from around the world that come there that are used to seeing the deer and bison, which is why I was going to take back. It's interesting because as you were talking about the different values, um, because of the value of the Native American population, the bison, which graze, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit one of the next segments, but there's a limited population that's allowed to stay for that purpose, even though they're not part of the original landscape of the islands in the economy. So I think there's there's quite a bit of um, various populations. There's also the academic population comes over and tries to study and make different arguments, whether it be the social sciences or the biological sciences. And I think um, one of the things I agreed with a statement you made elsewhere earlier was there are a win-win solution to this. And I, I think that's what people don't understand is, um, you know, not being funny, but if somebody was to come to me a year ago and said, can you see a day where the Humane Society, the California Rifle Pistol Association, California Deer Association, and many others would sit at the table and go, uh, you're not the enemy across from me, you're my ally because we have a bigger existential threat. I would have said, yep, can't really see that, Robbie. And yet, that's exactly where we find ourselves, which I think is a huge opportunity to build education, understanding, and even within this this group. Um, you know, I've had a couple people from Humane Society go, wow, you are not what I thought a hunter would be. Yeah, you- exactly. I think also, like, even if if... if- if the Catalina Humane Society asked you or asked me from a hunting perspective, I think we're also going to get like the Animals Defense Fund or something, you know, yeah. some crazy group as well <laughs> to join forces. But if they had to ask us, what is your goal mm-hmm. for deer on Catalina Island? My response, I don't want to put words in your mouth. My response is, we want the most sustainable, healthy deer population we can have that is impacting the vegetation and biodiversity on the island, you know, in a fashion that is also meeting other goals. You don't, we don't want to see an eroded landscape. We don't want to see biodiversity change. So there is this middle ground somewhere mm-hmm. that you just have to figure out. Right. And I, and I think that's where government hasn't been conducive. Government has been more whatever was going to satisfy their their values and their political needs at the time to divide the groups. And that is one of the things I keep hearing of like, wow, we have a lot more common ground because at the end of the day, Humane Society wants the deer on the island to be treated correctly and to be, like you said, sustainable, healthy, you know, not being harmed unnecessarily. But they understand that there are things that happen in nature in the natural world. And wow, like on all of that, we agree. You know, the one technical point, and one of the people said it from reading an article that I wrote on uh, hunting, said, wow, you use everything when you take the animal. I said, yeah, the animal sacrificed itself to feed my family. So, yes, I'm going to honor that animal, respect that animal by using everything and wasting next to nothing of it. I mean, I even after I make the soup bones and stuff and get my broth, 
And can that, I grind the bones down and put it back into my garden to, you know, bring back those minerals and nutrients to the soil so the plants can grow. So I think there's a lot of concepts that, you know, people, hunters are just out there grabbing a, a horn or a, you know, whatever from the animal and then walking away and leaving things to rot. And yet that's not who 95, 98% of the hunters are. Mm-hmm. And so that's been part of my mission is to try to, to correct that thought pattern, at least here in California. Because I think once we get at the table, then, you know, it's also getting our own community. I mean, I'm sure you've seen this too, Robbie, but there's a lot of people in our community that are fixed on an idea that they never themselves experience. It's just stuff that's been handed down. And I think that's got to get corrected as well so that we can say, hey, don't classify me as Elmer Fudd, <laughs> but instead look at me as who I really am. You know, a guy raising a family, a grandfather now, and trying to make sure my grandson has this heritage. And with that, we'll be right back with Robbie Kroger of Blood Origins here on Firing Line Radio. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info, to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe and the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Spartans, lay down your weapons! Persians, come and get them! Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. I'm here with Robbie Kroger of Blood Origins. We are talking about Catalina deer and hunters and framing the whole argument. You know, and Robbie, I was talking about our own community and getting things straight. And one of the things I think that creates some challenges in that space is that we have um, things that do come out. Like when you, you made the comment, there are some of us that are like, let the science drive the science, drive the science. Yet science isn't always perfect. Right. You know, and I, and I say that with graduate degrees of like, it's not always perfect. Um, that's why there's always room for new papers to be written, new people to get masters and PhDs because we haven't figured it all out yet. One of the things that I find fascinating and frustrating, almost in equal amounts, is the idea of population studies. And so, you know, whenever you get into a space, and I think Catalina is a perfect model for examining the challenges with this. But it's like, well, how many deer are are there? And, you know, in this debate that has been driven into the public and into government, you know, we've heard on the low end, maybe we have 500, 600 deer. On the high end, it's exploding. It's over 2,000 deer. Mm-hmm. Those are wildly yeah. different numbers. And, you know, in a couple of the meetings I've been in with you, I thought you did a really good job fairly quickly of explaining. But, I mean, you know, just from the time that I've been on the big game management committees within the Department of California um, Department of Fish and Wildlife, you know, we look at everything from aerial to looking at transect movement to looking at game cameras to looking at hair snags, you know, trying to figure out the population, its health, everything about it. 
And yet, it is, from what I've seen, we're using mathematical models applied to snapshots. In Always. Cases. Yeah. Always. Always. Yeah. There's, there's no way you can count every single deer on Kathleen Island. Right. Okay. And so you have to use population modeling to get you an estimate that's always going to have a confidence interval around that estimate. So it could be a thousand plus or minus 300. Okay. Before I tackle the population, I want to talk about a community again quickly, just to, just to make a, a point here. I would say that there may even be people listening to this to say when we talked about humane society and hunters being on the same page, they're throwing their, their toys out the window saying, Oh my God, I can't believe that. There's, you shouldn't be doing that. Okay. Blood Origins is very much a person, an organization that enjoys reaching across the aisle and talking to people that aren't associated with hunting, do not uh, hunt themselves, or are in a space that you're like, holy smokes, Robbie, are you crazy? So I'll give you a perfect example that happened this morning. I can't believe you even said it, Rick. So this happened to me this morning, and it made me mad. It made me really mad. I came to California four weeks ago. And did a podcast and he was on my podcast and I podcasted with a guy that has 1.3 million people following him on Instagram has 16.5 million people following him on TikTok. His name's Candy Ken. All you have to do is Google him. And that's the title of the podcast. Just Google him. And immediately you're going to find a guy that wears makeup, enjoys wearing very loud clothing. And immediately, even you, Rick, probably going to go, I have nothing in common with this guy. And we podcasted with him. And he showed up, when he podcasted with me, he showed up in normal clothes and was super excited to talk about hunting. He wanted to experience it. He is inspired to be a hunter. He wants to feed himself good, fresh venison, organic meats. And so we posted about this on Instagram. And this morning, a guy responded who's in the hunting space, who's very, you know, I would say very well respected. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, his comment was a little off the, off, off color. And his comment was this. It's amazing as hunters, so many folks will give a platform to someone who says maybe hunting isn't bad, no matter what kind of person they are. Not like Candy Ken is going to go out of his way to support hunters. This is sad. And my response to him was, this is exactly what we should be doing as hunters. Here's a guy who has a monstrous platform. He doesn't want to be an influencer. He doesn't want to take over hunting. He just wants to hunt. And he's not like us. Okay, 16 million people that follow him are probably not like us either. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I've got the uh, the capabilities, the uh, opportunity to speak to those 16 people and say, hey, this is who a hunter is. This uh-huh. is what hunting does. Anyway, I, I just thought it was it was very pertinent in terms of the hunting community comment that you made. Now, I think, I think you know, the story that I always share of why you got to reach across is um, I didn't get the stories, like you said, at the beginning of the show. From a lot of people, but my grandfather had hunted and, uh, you know, every year he would bring something in. But on the 4th of July, he had one of those old fashioned barbecues that was made probably 30 years before I came into existence. And he would cook 
and and hand out treats to people in the neighborhood and always tell me, well, this is so that they respect what I do, but know what they do. And, you know, when are these people are going to have a chance to, to eat wild boar or wild deer or whatever. And so about 10 years ago, I took that on with my sons before they moved out of the house and started their own lives. And the story I tell is, you know, I got out there one morning because we had got a pretty nice uh 260-pound boar, and we had cut him, you know, head to tail. And we were going to do him Santa Maria style on this big grill. And my friend had one from his work that was on a trailer. And so, you know, I get out there at 3 in the morning, get the wood going. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a labor of love. And I have a lady who, uh very staunch uh Democrat, very, very liberal, very, very much to the left. Um, it kind of reminded me of the old Gra- Gladys Kravitz lady off the old Bewitch TV shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His business. And she comes by and she looks at me and I'm thinking of all the people she's probably going to find some food reason I can't do what I'm doing. And so she says, Oh, so where did this come from? And I looked at her, Robbie, and I said, Oh, I harvested it. And she's like, Oh, that's nice. And she walks away. <laughs> and, and the fire chief that lives across the street from me goes, Harvest? That was cute. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> we just went on. Well, she comes back around about 11 and I was making pulled pork sandwiches and she goes, can I have some? Yeah. And she goes, I think it's so neat that you harvested this. And the fire chief couldn't keep his mouth shut. And he's like, he hunted it. And this is after she's taken a bite, Robbie. And the look on her face was like, oh, no. And I'm thinking, I'm going to kill this guy. So she goes back around, brings her husband back. He gets a sandwich. And they're like, this is really good. So three days go by. And she comes to my house, knocks on the door. And the minute I saw her, I thought, here it comes. I'm going to get fined. Like, all these things are going to happen. And she goes, hey, I make campaign T-shirts. I said, I know. She goes, I made one for you. And it had a deer, a wild pig, and a turkey on it. And it said, hunting tastes good. Holy smokes. Really? Yeah. And then she looks at me and she said, how much money do I need to give you so you can help my husband? I have some of this really good meat. I went and studied it. I listened to everything you told some of the people about how healthy it is. is. And I said, I, I can't. That's against the law. And she goes, well, who came up with that stupid law? And I went, your political party? And then she she turned around and she actually started writing at that time one of the uh, politicians up in Sacramento who would see me when I was up there and go, can you just tell her to quit? I've heard her arguments. But she became an advocate for hunting over a wild board pulled pork sandwich on the 4th of July. And it's why I constantly push our community reach out be friendly because that's one of the things hunters historically did you brought the food home for the entire village not just your family in the village and so i'm very much about sharing with the village that's amazing dude that's that's a great story that's the kind of t-shirt we actually need that's a great t-shirt <laughs> well you can take it and run with it <laughs> anyway i didn't mean to sidetrack that segment but um I think it's important, especially in the context of Catalina, right? That there's, there's, again, people with different values coming onto the same page and saying, okay, like what's the, what's the path forward? And we talked about the deer, right? So deer, the deer number on Catalina is like the number is the thing that it's like the crux. It's like right. one of the, one of the legs of the stool that we need to figure out. And when it comes to science, I know we've got, short time. But when it comes to the science, you know, you can you can question every single survey methodology when it comes to counting deer. It doesn't matter what you do, whether it's 
very expensive, inexpensive, whether it's uh, night transects with lights, whether it's thermal counts, whether whatever. This is the data we have. And if they do it consistently every year over time, do it the same way with a population modeling estimate, could you improve on it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Will it cost more money to improve on it? Absolutely. Right. But, you know, we have the data. We have what we have. And based on what I've seen in terms of the data, it seems like the deer numbers today, right now, are probably at their lowest that they've ever been over the last, you know, since 2010, maybe. Which yeah, is- I think that's I think that's highly accurate. And let's... As we come back in this final segment, talk about kind of where we're at with this whole process and, and what the listeners can do to get involved. We'll be back on Fine Line Radio. Hi, folks. Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info, to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. AM 590, the answer. The Greater Long Beach Gun Owners CRPA Chapter meets the third Wednesday of every month at the Long Beach Rod and Gun Club, 3333 Pacific Avenue, Long Beach, California, 90807. The meeting is from 7 to 8.30 with monthly handgun shoots, FT3 Tactical, and weekly shotgun shoots, L.A. Clays. Welcome back for this final segment here on Fine Line Radio this Saturday. And with me is Robbie Kroger of Blood Origins. I'm your host, Rick Travis, from the California Rifle and Pistol Association. And we're talking about the deer issue on Catalina hunting all that goes around it. Bringing this back, I try in every uh, show to give people what they can do and how they can understand some talking points. And, Robbie, we're talking about, you know, the deer population. Um, this is not the first eradication that's ever been proposed or executed on one of the Channel Islands. But I do think that there's some space. You gave a wonderful example recently in another, I believe it was a podcast that I listened to, of what the win-win-win is, what that Mm -hmm. looks like. Mm -hmm. And if you don't mind going over that really quick again so that people have that, because I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't want to see the deer get killed, 
but I don't know what the answer is. And I thought you put a very succinct, well-thought-out answer that people can get behind. Yeah, so let's, to me, there is a win-win-win. And the and and here is in generality the terms of the win win win. Uh hunters still have an opportunity to take deer. The residents and citizens of Avalon still have an opportunity to hunt deer. The Avalon citizens and residents that want to see deer still see deer. The CIC that wants to see a reduced deer population to increase biodiversity and vegetation health happens at the same time. Like wow. Seems super simple. How it, 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 the, the devil's in the details of execution. Okay. Uh, so what do we know? We do have some deer numbers. We believe the deer numbers are their lowest, uh, that they've been in quite some time. We do know that there has been some vegetation sampling, monitoring on Catalina. Uh, some really good science actually around vegetation response to fire and, uh, browsing or grazing. The answer, the, the biggest question we do not have answers to, which is the critical component to the win-win-win, is the is the is the relationship between deer number and vegetation response. That's the easiest and simplest way I can put it. What is the answer to that question? As deer numbers come down, as they have been coming down, have we seen a commensurate vegetation response as a result? The only way to answer that is to have tracked deer numbers over time, which we think they have, and also have permanent vegetation transects outside of exclosures uh, that tracks the, a certain vegetation metric over time. I don't know if they have that data or not. They may well do it. You also need that data inside the enclosure as well to show that you know things are stable over time, to ch- to sort of make sure that you're uh, – um, looking for factors like climate or drought that could be affecting vegetation sort of as a, a conflating variable. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you need those two things over, over time to understand where you're at. An eradication effort takes your vegetation metric, your vegetation response, you know, to a hundred percent. But you can also achieve your, your vegetation response maybe at 80% or 70%. But that doesn't commensurately, it would not, and maybe it does. I'm just hypothetically putting an idea out here. I didn't, I wouldn't think that it's an 80% reduction in deer population to, to achieve that same 80% response. It may be something less. Again, we don't know the answer to this. So. I think management is management is key. Management of deer is key. Whether or not uh you know the the residents or CIC will accept uh, an increased hunter opportunity, hunter harvest model for management. The deer population's small enough, the island is small enough, and I think that there's enough uh desire from a California hunter population to do it. I think it would be successful. Uh, making sure we're, we're all being transparent here in the literature, in the science. Um, when recreational hunting is used solely as a management tool for population control, around 78% of the time it fails. And the reason it fails is because there's no incentive to drive the management. 
So whenever this conversation comes up, incentivization of hunting or hunters is going to be critical. You can't expect a hunter to go out there, take three animals. They're not going to want to do that. They want to take one animal. They don't want the work to do the second and the work to do the third. Right. Okay. So there is an opportunity for recreational hunting. If you cannot incentivize, then maybe there is a need for a professional contract to come in. It doesn't have to be a helicopter. It could be thermals. Um, and there's plenty of military contractors out there that could do the job to take those deer out at a certain number, whatever that level is. Mm-hmm. And again, that's tied to management plan. It's a management plan over the next, say, five years. And over the next five years, you're, you're intensely monitoring the deer numbers, and the vegetation response such that it's incredibly transparent and it's incredibly baked in science so that the citizens of Avalon that really want the deer, they want to see the deer and whatnot, are included in the process. And at the end of the day, if the population of deer get reduced by 50% and the vegetation response is not anywhere near where it needs to be, then we all understand the situation, right? I think we all then say, okay, well, we need to reduce it more because we're not seeing it. And here's the other thing that I haven't even, I didn't talk about. But maybe what we do need here, Rick, is a a significant reduction in the deer very quickly to maybe the 100 or 200 population for the vegetation to have a chance to recover you know, three, four, five um, years, and then the population can slowly build back up with a very careful uh, observation of the vegetation to make sure it doesn't dip back down over that. And so then you're balancing objectives, right? Right. But you need time to do that. Uh, it doesn't require – it also requires not a an, an action like eradication. Um. And a, a willingness, I'll just say this, a willingness of Catalina Island Conservancy to say, okay, well, this is, this still heads in the trajectory of where we want to go, of what we want to do, the goals that we want to fulfill. But it, 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 it pulls everyone along with them and includes everybody in the process. I think, I think one of the things that, I want everybody to realize is as we come together to look at this, we're doing so based on science, but we're also, you know, sometimes you have to look at the populations not in balance. And we have other areas of California that we'll talk on other shows about where the population is not in balance and people's objectives are not being transparent. We're being transparent with you on the show because it's important that you understand these are the things that we look at behind the scenes. There's the getting ready for your own personal hunt and going out there, but there's also realizing there are some amazing hunting opportunities here in California. And what we're trying to do is keep one of those viable. That's unique. You know, you brought up the, uh, the whole idea of Hemingway or something. You know, I just remember going to Florida and sitting in the same place where Hemingway sat you know, in Key West and having a drink and going like, wow, this is where Ernie hung out and mm-hmm. did his thing. And, you know, I have a rifle that belonged to John Ra- Browning that I used to go hunting. And so I always say, hey, when I go hunting with that rifle, John Browning's with me because mm-hmm. at one point he owned that. 
I think there's the same thing. You're going out to Catalina hunt deer. It's like, hey, the Wrigleys who owned the Chicago Cubs during arguably one of their biggest heydays. They they had the deer out there for that purpose. You know, there are famous people. I have uh, pictures of uh, uh, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig hunting at a, a duck club that was in Bolsa Chica State Beach, which is about a mile and a half from my home. There's no hunting there now. But they came out in 1927 during a pennant race to go duck hunting there, and there's a picture of them with their ducks. And I think that's that's part of that history and part of that um, emotional part of hunting that it's like I'm where other great people, I think a lot of people can identify with it. It's no different if you hike the John Muir Trail or, you know, go down somewhere where some other famous explorer and, you know, conservationist has been, it, it just connects. And I think that's something we have to work on. And, and to your credit, you're doing a lot in that space to help people connect to what it means to be a hunter, what hunting is really about, and that um, hunters are the largest conservation group um, concerned about managing species for future generations. And I, I think that's vital for people to understand that. 100%, 100%. So I think yeah. people, if they want to get involved, you know, you have the information now, you know, ask questions, ask logical questions of like, what is, how can everybody win in this scenario? Um, I think that to me is, is hopefully what people take away from this. And folks, check out Robbie at bloodorigins.org, uh, I believe it is. Yep. And uh, also remember, support the California Rifle Pistol Association, join, and as I say every week, Be safe, shoot straight, and fight back for your rights. Here on Firing Mind Radio, we wish you the best. Have a great week. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, The Force of Optics, and by the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. AM590, the answer. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.